0: Thanks for checking out the GMH podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. How is Hamilton helping the local homeless population? We also look at the struggling restaurant industry, our mental health challenges, five more in the Hamilton Sports Hall, a doc on rhino poaching, and comedian Roy Wood Jr. joins the show. The GMH podcast begins now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: In less than two months from now, we're going to have the start of winter. And the latest stats show that Hamilton's homeless crisis is actually getting worse. Stats from the city show that back in September, 280 people were living outside, 120 more than what was recorded during the summer months. And there are roughly about 1,900 people who are considered homeless in this community. And with you know, a jam-packed shelter system and few other places to go, there's a risk that that number, that number of people living outside may grow even further. Michelle Baird is the Director of Housing with the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Michelle, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I referenced the September statistics for those living outdoors. Do we have any numbers from October yet?
2: Uh, We don't have our October numbers as of yet. We'll get them at at the very end probably of this week we i can say though that we're not seeing a decrease from where we were in september and that unfortunately you're right the shelter system is simply uh well beyond capacity at this point they're doing what they can but our system be it male female or women our family shelter they're all beyond capacity uh we do see increasing numbers of people unfortunately in encampments and that's something unusual for us this year in past years at this point in time we wouldn't have seen uh, the numbers we're seeing. In fact, we're seeing more folks, unfortunately, living in encampments than we've had
0: before. And I, I would guess that those numbers are continue to increase. As you mentioned, the shelter space, the the rental and affordable housing crisis we have, the you know social assistance rates that are not going up. Uh, we're just not seeing the funding from upper levels of government to help this situation. Are we going to see these numbers rise?
2: Uh, we likely will. So you're absolutely correct. All of those issues are at play, that social assistance rates are Uh, a significant issue here. People simply can't afford rents at what the market rent is right now. We also, within our shelter system, experiencing ongoing pressures related to refugees, asylum seekers, and um, those individuals as well looking for a place, of course. And so, that in combination with just a lack of affordable housing overall, it's really making the situation incredibly difficult for the people that find themselves at this point without a place to live. We
0: do so ha- we don't.
2: We don't see that that number is going to go down anytime soon.
0: We do have uh, an encampment protocol in this uh, city right now. Is that process working? <laughs>
2: So the encampment protocol is in place and uh, it's working for what it's intended in that we we need it to find a way. We know that we're going to have folks that are living in encampments and we need it to find a way both to meet the needs of those people and find them places that they have a bit more stability where they're not being moved around while also recognizing that uh, housed community members are also looking for ways to use parks And so right now, I think what we are seeing is uh, more smaller encampments, perhaps, than we had previously. And we'll continue to see that as those larger encampments are dispersed and uh, move to places where smaller clusters of tents. Um, Overall, though, the encampment protocol, of course, is it's not perfect, and we, we would rather be in a place where we don't see people living in encampments.
0: Absolutely. We're talking about Hamilton's homeless crisis here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML with the Director of Housing with the City of Hamilton, Michelle Baird. Have any people who were living in tents, have, have any, has anyone been moved to more secure housing by the outreach team? Or is that team just designed to move them to, you know, a, a, a less busy park, so to speak?
2: Uh, So that team is designed to do a couple of things. First of all, yes, there are individuals who are moved from encampments into um, perhaps shelters at times. Perhaps the ideal would, of course, be permanent housing, supportive housing of some type, but there are small numbers of individuals who do get moved, which is wonderful. Uh, that group as well though helps with they might connect with people bring them food bring them water, make sure that they have those basics make sure as well that they are connected with service providers. also when you're looking for housing it is a it's a detailed process and the applications that are made and things like that so the individuals our outreach workers will support people through that process uh, while also trying to find them in the meantime uh, a compliant, encampment site where they know that they can stay and be there uninterrupted. So they are providing support. They are where possible, of course, finding them housing, but I would say those opportunities are quite limited.
0: This this suggestion that I'm gonna make is it may have already been analyzed and, and and looked into are are hotel or motel spaces an option even as a temporary, you know, over the winter kind of scenario? So
2: We actually use hotel spaces now in Hamilton. We have two hotels that we're using right now. It's only for family overflow. Our family shelter system, there's um, probably twice as many families as we have uh, budgeted for, so we are using hotel spaces already. We haven't expanded that. During COVID, of course, we used a lot more hotels than that. We don't have that opportunity any longer because hotels are open for regular uh, business, whatnot. So it's, it's not as wide open as it was, but we do take advantage of that when we can. The challenge, of course, hotels, shelters are very expensive. Hotels, even more expensive than shelters to operate. And um, we simply don't have the funding within our uh, budget for that. So it ends up all coming back, unfortunately, to the levy. It's, it's not being covered within our provincial budget.
0: Last one for you. We've got about 90 seconds. Hamilton was looking at a tiny homes pilot project in the north end. That's obviously been scrapped because there was a lot of individuals in that part of the city that said, hey, it's not going to work. And I think council listened ultimately to that. Other communities have seen some success with this idea. Have, uh, has Hamilton reached out to those communities to say, how did you make it work?
2: Yes, we have worked. Uh, we have definitely engaged with other communities, worked with them to understand what works and how it works. And I would say that that plan is not uh, it's, it's not completely gone. We're still hopeful that we can bring tiny shelters to Hamilton. We need to do it in the right way and, and find a way to make that happen.
0: Well, I think, yeah, I think the idea is good. The implementation, yes. I think, in its first iteration, you know, kind of failed to hit the bullseye. But uh, we'll have to leave it there as we're plumb out of time. Michelle, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Have Michelle, a good one. You too. Michelle Baird is the director of housing with the city of
1: Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: A study finds that half of restaurants in this country are struggling, losing money or just breaking even. This is from the Restaurants Canada Food Service Facts 2023 report. And it shows that before March 2020... At the start of the pandemic, only 7% of restaurant companies were losing money. 5% were breaking even. This past March, three years later, 34% of restaurants were operating at a loss. 17% just breaking even. Tracy McGregor is the Vice President for Ontario with Restaurants Canada and joins us on GMH. Tracy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. What's going on with restaurants?
3: Well, you know, it has been a volatile few years, to say the least. And, uh, you know, it's been tough times and we're not out of that yet. Um, This report is really meant to, you know, commit to, to operators to help them get through this.
0: What are the factors at play? Why are restaurants struggling?
3: Well, I mean, one of the things is obviously coming out of the pandemic, they came out with a lot of debt. So not only things like the SIBA loans that the governments had, had uh, made available, but, you know, that when they took those out, it was very, it was early in the pandemic. And so there were more closures. And so they had to, you know, take out uh, credit lines that, that needed maxing out then and, uh, you know, putting second mortgages on houses. So you have this, this debt coming out. And then when we do open up and we're thinking, yay, you know, we can actually get back in balance here. Uh, there was that record inflation that put almost every line item from food, utilities, insurance, rents, uh, labor, and of course interest rates, and so everything raised up about double digits in in every case on their on their expenses.
0: And of course, it's impossible to pass on along all those added costs to the customer because you know we're gonna we're not gonna pay you know eighty dollars for a pizza.
3: No, it's true. So, I mean, they've been very careful on menu inflation. It hasn't kept up with those rates that they're seeing. And that's just because of what you said. There's a balance there. And at some point, your guest counts go down and that doesn't help you either. So there's only so much we'll pay for a burger or a pizza.
0: During the pandemic, there was a lot of government uh, help for restaurants and, you know, other companies out there. Has that evaporated?
3: Well, most of those things have gone away, yes, um, and and people do want this in the rearview mirror, and, and we understand that, but, um, you know, I mean, I, we're still adjusting as consumers, the labour market, businesses, we're, we're all trying to adapt to that aftermath, and, and so at a time when they need it most, and I would say, you know, more than they did even at that time, as you said, there was only 7% operating at a loss at that time, and now it's 34%, so, um, that's part of the problem, and we've certainly been asking a lot for that SIBA extension to keep those forgivable portions of the loan and not having to go to high interest rates on those loans as well.
0: A new report from Restaurants Canada shows that uh, many restaurants are struggling these days, losing money or just breaking even, and we're in discussion with Tracy McGregor, the Vice President for Ontario with Restaurants Canada. The the government loans that were available that uh, you know helped many businesses you know, stay afloat is there a call to renew that or, or maybe start something new?
3: Yeah, I mean, we've been certainly um, calling for the, the continued extension of, of those SEBA loans because what's come up is they need to renegotiate those. And in most cases, they're in a different position than they were when they took those loans out. So they may have to go to, to alternate lenders at higher rates. So that's a concern that we've been definitely um, lobbying on for some time. What we're trying to do is rather than ask for handouts, um, as people sometimes perceive them, but what we need is really inflation relief on those expense line items. So, you know, look at things like payroll taxes, maybe, you know, another further um, uh, discount on wholesale alcohol pricing. Uh, Anything that we can do, uh, you know, training and hiring is is another big expense. So how can we help them with those pieces?
0: How many restaurants are in danger of just closing the doors for good?
3: Well, I mean, if you if you look at the uh, the numbers, I mean, 34 percent of them are operating at a loss. That's not a good message, um, but there are some really good things happening um, that this report shows, and that they can actually action in real time, and that's what we we want. So trends, consumer trends, you know, make sure uh, digital menus are are great because you can adjust for overstocks or, or seasonal items. Um, 37% of respondents said they would like daily specials. So, you know, get into that bundled pricing. The Younger Demo really likes diverse tastes and international flavors. So we're seeing a lot of tasting menus come up. People want experiences. So there's a lot of things you you can do that that aren't high cost but can make a difference in bringing people back. Incentives for return visits, for example.
0: Those are good measures for sure. Tracy, thank you for your time, and uh, we wish all the restaurants out there the best of luck.
3: Great. Thanks, Rick.
0: Tracy McGregor, VP for Ontario with Restaurants Canada. Bankruptcy filings, by the way, in the food service industry, up 116% since 2022. Not a good situation. Support your local restaurant today.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: TELUS Health has released a special report on financial well-being as part of its mental health index. And to no one's surprise buying or renting a home health benefits and financial and retirement planning are among our biggest concerns paula allen is a global leader and senior vp of research and client insights with telus health and joins us now on good morning hamilton on 900 chml paula good morning thanks for waking up with us this morning
4: oh good morning to you as well
0: can we call the latest mental health report a bad news story
4: I don't like to call it a bad news story. I like to call it information that people need to know. Uh, We do this mental health index because you can't improve what you don't measure. So we measure mental health and the factors that impact it and financial well-being is most certainly one of those factors. So we've dug deep into that in, in several of our reports.
0: The housing crisis clearly identified in this report. What did you find on that front?
4: Well, people are... There's a couple of things. Uh, from a mental health point of view, we know that not having savings, not being able to withstand, you know, ups and downs in terms of the the, the pressures of life or move towards something that you want impacts your mental health and well-being. It takes away a sense of control. And we are finding that the majority of Canadians are concerned about one, two uh, or two or both things. One is the ability to buy a home and the other is the ability to retire. So two things that are really sort of part of our expectation in our society are really being threatened right now.
0: The report shows that 44 percent of respondents were concerned about being able to buy or rent a home. I'm going to guess that number has never been higher.
4: Well, in our uh, index, we've certainly not seen seen it any higher. Um, I don't know if it was higher beforehand, but if you look at it, 44%, that's a significant portion of our adult working population. In our mental health index, we are only polling people who are working. So you're working every day, you're moving towards something you hope, but you're feeling that that thing a home is becoming much more elusive. And that, that obviously is very concerning. People need to adjust their expectations, which is a hard thing to do.
0: For those who are working there, especially when you're getting closer to 60, 65, perhaps in some cases even 70, there are you know, thoughts about retirement. What is my life going to look like post-work? What did you find when it comes to respondents and how people are feeling about planning for that stage of their life?
4: Yeah, well, one well, the thing that we found, we found many things, uh, but what jumped out at me was not only 19%, only one in five, had no concern about retirement. You know, many were feeling that they would have to take a drop in their standard of living. Many were feeling that they could never retire. So, you know, we've got the majority, the vast majority of our population very anxious about retirement and we also asked another question that i thought was interesting which was if you had a big windfall so you had a lottery a, a major inheritance what would you do with that money and we were thinking you know the typical things you would buy the expensive car you go on vacation 55 said that they would put it towards their retirement So, you know, it is on people's minds as something that is a priority.
0: That is interesting. Paula Allen is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Paula is a global leader and senior vice president of research and client insights at TELUS Health. We're looking at the financial well-being of Canadians as part of their latest mental health index. And for the second month in a row, our scores, our mental health scores are lower. And uh, for those who don't know, the the number 644 what does that number mean? How do you get to that?
4: Well, think about it as the, the 0 to 100 uh, scale that you have in school. So 80 and above, you're doing really well. 50 and below, you really, really, really need some serious help. So we're at about that, 60, uh, 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 that 60% sixty range, which is not good. It's, it's a significant drop, almost 10 points since before uh, the pandemic. So we really had an impact of that period of disruption and change and risk, you know, to the extent that it's showing up, not not just in people who we would consider in mental distress, but the general population. You know, almost half of us are, there's some indication in in our data of a bit of a mental fog, you know, difficulty starting and finishing things, difficulty absorbing information, And over 40% of us are more sensitive to stress. So these are things that are showing up in day-to-day life and and certainly in the workplace.
0: So when it comes to that mental health score of 64.4, when was the last time we were that low?
4: Oh my goodness. This was actually towards the beginning of the pandemic. Um, Let me see if I can tell you the exact answer, but it is definitely one of our lowest scores. Uh, We've, again, what's been what's important to understand is that we went through a prolonged period of time where we were experiencing things that the human mind does not like the change the risk we had a, a fair bit of conflict during the pandemic all of those things and even if the the trigger of the strain is gone. The impact doesn't go away right away. So we actually have, are seeing evidence that our mental health has been somewhat reset. And as we said in the beginning, I'm not here to give bad news. I'm here to give realistic news so people can say, okay, well, this is not great. Let's do something about it. And certainly, you know, our mental health isn't static. We can do something about it.
0: Paula Allen, Global Leader and Senior VP of Research and Client Insights at TELUS Health. Appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for sharing these uh, details with us.
4: My pleasure.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The
0: Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame inducting its class of 2023 yesterday. Wow, what a what a class it was. Tiger Cats owner Bob Young, former Ty Cats player Ellison Kelly, soccer star Melissa Tancredi, boxing champion jessica racozzi and spectator sports reporter bob hanley enshrined at a ceremony at michelangelo's kelly and hanley uh, inducted posthumously and i had a chance to speak with young and racozzi and we'll start with the boxing champ i just wanted to ask you about um, being inducted into the hamilton sports hall of fame if i said that to you i don't know 30 years ago
5: what would you say i wouldn't believe it i wouldn't have even thought i was into boxing i was basketball all the other sports and then when I hit boxing, I I could never even imagine I was going to go pro. And then to be here right now, I am I'm dumbfounded. I'm so shocked. <laughs> How
0: did you get into boxing?
5: Uh, just an aggressive, angry kid, maybe. <laughs> and my buddy, uh, Rich Mena, he was like, you need to come to the gym and get rid of that anger. And, and I fell in love right away.
0: What was it about the sport that you can get that anger out but be successful as well
5: well you're allowed to punch people (laughs) and you don't get in trouble for it and yeah it's all it's all there's rules just like a sport there's rules and uh, just like I don't know it just kind of gave me a sense of ease Mm -hmm. for some reason like just hitting punching and training, it was just, it was a perfect match for me.
0: Every sport has a discipline too. You have to be disciplined in boxing. Was that a challenge? Was that easy for you?
5: The discipline part, maybe the dieting was hard for making weight, but the discipline, I've been doing that my whole life. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't really too much for me.
0: When you got your first win, what was the feeling like and did you crave more?
5: Oh, my first win in Mississippi and I had like no fans there. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I need to do this, but I would love to do it on a higher level, but I had to kind of creep my way up, right? you got to work to get to the big time.
0: What was the journey like, and what would you tell your younger self?
5: Oh, keep at it, don't quit, and just there's going to be bumps, and you just got to keep moving forward, and if there is something that holds you back, uh, just know that there's another day that you can just start over again.
0: What would be your message to a young girl out there who's thinking, I don't know, boxing, is it for me?
5: Uh, A message that I would tell them is, to stay focused don't let anybody tell you you can't do it and even if you lose or you have any kind of um, you know obstacles just Mm -hmm. keep pushing forward it'll eventually you'll get to where you want to be as long as you have that drive inside of you and you got to love it because if you don't love it it's not a sport to get into
0: what did you learn about yourself along this career-long journey
5: i learned that i could take a pretty good punch (laughs) a few times over and over again Uh, get knocked down get back up i met some amazing people that are going to be friends with me for life and just like the the sacrifice was was really hard but it was all worth it
0: the class of 2023 includes tie cats owner bob oh, young ellison yeah. kelly posthumously bob hanley a great sports writer uh, melissa tancredi a soccer superstar you, you hear all these names what do you think?
5: I'm actually shocked that I'm that I was included in this. So I'm extremely honored and humbled. I honestly feel like this is the biggest achievement that I've ever had in my whole life. What are you up to now? Uh, I'm working at Peel Regional Police, and I'm actually a use of force instructor. Nice. Kind of fits perfect for me. So
0: do you get to box in that scenario?
5: <laughs> Always, yeah. So and it's funny because we just had a bunch of recruits come through, and we put this big suit on. Have you seen Big Hero Six? You yep. know. So we look like that, and then we get to go in there, and we kind of try to fight with them, and they got to use a baton to keep us down. So it's right up my alley.
0: Now, do the officers know that you used to be a boxer?
5: Most of them do now, but um, just because, like, the people that are standing behind you here, uh, my wrestling coach, he's actually our president for Appeal, and he, like, brags on me. So that's (laughs) how they know, because he's... He's my number one hit, like, fan. Nice.
0: Well, uh, congratulations. I appreciate the time and enjoy the day.
5: Thank you so very much.
0: Bob Young, Hamilton Sports Hall of Famer. How does that sound?
6: Uh, uh, truly bizarre, <laughs> because Sports Hall of Fames are supposed to be about athletic excellence. Sure. Yep. And I am the very definition of the opposite You're the antithesis. athletic excellence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you got the call, were you confused or? Yes, 100%. I'm <laughs> going, <laughs> no, they got the wrong Bob Young. And with a name like Bob Young, there's actually a lot of Bob Youngs. Sure, sure. So was, there was a Bob Young who played in the NFL. I thought that's who they were going <laughs> after. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, 20 years ago, you saved the franchise. Let's call a spade a spade, and that means a lot to a lot of people. To now be included in this group, which includes Ellison Kelly of TyCat, great. What does it mean to you?
6: Uh, so it doesn't mean anything to me, to be clear. Uh, the reason we've been as successful as we've been because I live down in the States and uh, it's the team that has worked so hard at this for so long. The multiple teams who have worked so hard. Uh, Just met a friend of Mark Bowden who worked with me in the first couple of years to figure this thing out. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just such a pleasure to see a a team get rewarded and the only reason I accepted and I really waffled on whether I should accept uh, was for the recognition of of the Madafnex the uh, 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 yeah just all the smart people uh, who have contributed to making this work and the city of Hamilton we can't do any of this you know where people think of business as being these vertical organizations and I think of them as being these inverted pyramids where your customers are at the top in our case it's our community who's at the top of this pyramid anyway and it's it's lovely to see a plan come together like this
0: uh you're wearing a forge fc hat you have a big game on saturday championship final are you do you get nervous of
6: course of course i'm when i watch the games Cat forge i'm 12 year old bob young (laughs) you know i'm as excited and nervous as any of the fans in the stadium uh, and I will be on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very big game. A
0: few weeks after that, it's Grey Cup 110 in Hamilton. You guys have done a phenomenal job with uh, the, the festival that's coming up, all the musical acts that are yeah. happening. Of course, yeah. the game's going to be amazing as it always is. Are you looking forward to one thing in particular that week or the, for the next month? Uh, yeah, it's when the
6: Ticats win the Grey Cup. Okay. Of course. Of like, course. What else is there to, to look forward to? But no, the, the real fun thing about this one... Um, is that it's such a festival that the city of Hamilton wins regardless of who gets to play in the game Uh, because we're making it so much more than just the game Uh, and we're going to communicate that to the country that Hamilton is so much more than the Ticats or the steel industry or any other piece that people are familiar with. So it's a lovely opportunity to brag to the world about our hometown and and why we care about it.
0: All of Hamilton and all of Canada is looking forward to that. Can't wait. Congratulations, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Rick, a pleasure, as always, to chat to you. Thank you. Thanks to Bob Young and Jessica for taking time out of their uh, afternoon yesterday to speak
1: with me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: A local filmmaker has teamed up with Global Conservation Force to create a documentary, Highlighting the rhinoceros poaching crisis and anti-poaching efforts.
1: Currently, the trajectory for rhino is that we are sliding down the slope towards extinction. They are the ones on the front line facing poachers head-on and protecting our wildlife. The poaching system is extremely complex. It's just something we're fighting for. And that's why we still, here. Yeah, keep Keep fighting.
0: The world premiere screening of Holding the Front Line will be held tonight at the Burlington Golf and Country Club starting at 7 p.m. And proceeds will be donated to GCF. Joining us now to talk about this is Jess Donnelly. Jess is a Burlington filmmaker who created Holding the Front Line. Jess, good morning. Thanks for waking up with us here on GMH. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. How did you get involved in this project?
7: Yeah. um, So, gcf put out a post a while back you know asking for um a filmmaker to film their annual anti-poaching ranger training for a few weeks and create a documentary that highlighted the whole experience um so I, i applied and they chose me and i was absolutely thrilled and so excited to be a part of it and create the documentary um yeah, I've I've been to South Africa before and and fell in love with the country and the wildlife, so I jumped at the opportunity to go back. Um but this trip was very different than my first, very heavily focused on conservation initiatives and I really feel like that had an impact on the documentary as a whole. It it kind of made it this powerful awareness driving film that I believe, without a doubt, will have an impact on anybody who watches it.
0: Well, I watched the trailer this morning, and my gosh, if the trailer is any indication on how powerful this documentary is going to be, viewers are in for a um, uh, a very sobering take on what is happening in places like South Africa.
7: Yes, for sure. Yeah, the the rhino poaching crisis is it's not a new issue. It's an ongoing issue. It's been an issue for the past 10-plus years, with the peak being in 2014. But we're still seeing poaching attacks on a regular basis, even today. And at the rate that we're going, unfortunately, you know, rhinos could be extinct by 2040, if not earlier. So all the initiatives that Global Conservation Force is doing are absolutely essential.
0: So what are we gonna see and learn through this documentary?
7: Yeah, so you're gonna get a better, a better understanding of, of what's going on and how heavily impacting um, the population of rhino that the poaching the poachers are, are having on on, uh, on the population on the crisis there um, we're also going to get a chance to like highlight the people who are on the ground working tirelessly every single day in order to try and turn around that crisis and that issue and it really you know highlights those people who have dedicated their lives to protecting these wildlife
0: These anti-poaching rangers, I mean, they look like military personnel. This is serious business.
7: Yeah, yeah. And fortunately, in some areas, they have had to um, act more like military units. And it's just based on, you know, the the poachers that they're dealing with. You know, these people are, it's organized crime syndicates. It's not, um, you know, just like local you know, members, it's, it's really organized. It's quite a big issue and very unsafe. So in order to be prepared for every situation, yeah, they, the anti-poaching units have to act more like military units in some regions.
0: What are the organized crime syndicates doing with these rhinos?
7: Yeah. So they are unfortunately, um, being hunting, hunting the rhinos for their horns. Um, there is a lot of demand that comes from illegal markets in Asia. Um, and they're being shipped over there and being used as anything from, you know, a status symbol to a quote unquote cure for cancer. But rhino horn we know has no medicinal value. It's made of the same structure as our hair and our fingernails. It's keratin. It doesn't serve us any purpose. But unfortunately, there are some um, that, just, that 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 want to have it in their possession, and there's a market for it. A rhino horn can be sold for over a hundred thousand dollars on the black market, so it's it's definitely in demand. But we are, you know, doing everything that we can in order to. And that entire crisis. Well, wow.
0: Jess Donnelly is a Burlington filmmaker behind the documentary Holding the Front Line, which looks at the rhino poaching crisis and the anti-poaching efforts to save these animals. And you can check it out tonight at the Burlington Golf and Country Club. It's the world premiere screening, which starts at 7 p.m. And all the proceeds will be donated to Global Conservation Force. Tickets are $65 and uh, we can get them online, I guess, at globalconservationforce.org.
7: Yeah, so we can get them online at holdingthefrontline.com. Okay. Um, and then for those who are unable to attend tonight, but still would love to support the cause, we also have a dedicated donation page on our website as well. So I really would encourage everybody to to donate whatever they can. Every single contribution, no matter the size, will play an absolutely pivotal role in furthering that mission and supporting those brave anti-poaching rangers that are on the ground every single day protecting those animals.
0: And I hear as part of tonight's screening, there's also going to be a fireside chat or a Q&A afterwards.
7: There sure is, yeah. So we have some special guests joining us. Um, Mike Veal, who is the CEO of Global Conservation Force, will be in attendance as well as- as a uh, local conservationist, Blake Moines will also be there, um, and we'll get a chance to sit down and discuss all the issues that are going on.
0: You can also get more information about Jess on her website, jessdonnelly.com. Jess, thanks for waking up with us and sharing uh, your thoughts and uh, what is going to be a fantastic documentary holding the front line with our audience this morning. Thanks uh, for the time.
7: Thank you so much.
0: Jess Donnelly, Burlington filmmaker who created Holding the Frontline." And for tickets, uh, again, 65 bucks. All the proceeds go to Global Conservation Force Helping These Rhinos. Holdingthefrontline.com. And uh, tonight, as I mentioned, is the world premiere of this documentary. The um, United States premiere is actually going to be held on November the 5th in San Diego. So we get uh, a one-up on the U.S. And, uh, and that sounds about right with the... Filmmaker being from Burlington.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Just for Laughs is celebrating the 20th anniversary of its iconic cross-Canada tour with a great show that's coming to Hamilton on Saturday, November the 11th. The McIntyre Performing Arts Center at Mohawk College is going to be the place to be for the Boston Pizza Presents Just for Laughs comedy tour with host and comedian extraordinaire Roy Wood Jr. And lo and behold... Mr. Wood Jr. joins us now on GMH. Roy, good morning. How are you?
8: Yes. How are you doing today? I'm ready to get to town. I'm ready to tell jokes. <laughs> I'm ready to eat. Whatever the hell it is Canadians eat, I would like <laughs> to order two of those, please.
0: The uh, the, the menu of choice is poutine, and that's about it. Uh, maybe beaver tails okay. as a side.
8: That you, actual beaver <laughs> sounds illegal, It is, it is not, but I'll try it. It is not actual beaver. Okay. Have, have you been to Hamilton okay. before? No, no, I have not. Most of these cities on this tour, most of these provinces I've never been to. I've only been in, like Canada as a whole in 25 years. Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, yeah. the end. <laughs> that's, that's where I've been. And I'm excited to get there. I'm excited to have a good time. Canada's going through it, it seems. I, I, I heard, you know, I think your fearless leader up there, he's single, right? <laughs> he is now, yep. Or, well, I don't know if he's single, but he definitely ain't married no more. That's that's. You know how fed up you got to be with somebody to leave them midterm? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. something went down. Normally, you like you. Normally, you wait till after he left office. Now, you, y'all y'all not scared about that. Y'all not scared about having a single leader. You, you're not scared about your leader being on Tinder at two o'clock in the morning instead of being well rested. <laughs> There's a lot of scary. He's things. in charge of the missiles. You do know that, yeah. right? He's in charge of the missiles. I, I assume Canada has missiles. I haven't seen many movies set up there where y'all are starting stuff militaristically, but. I think that at some point, y'all just got to appoint a girlfriend for this, man. I'm not here to tell you how to run your country, but I'm just telling you, these leaders, they're more calm when they have a partner. I'm not a betting man, but I would have never
0: wagered a penny on Melania still being with Donald and Mr. Trudeau without his wife. I would have never guessed
8: that. Melania understood the assignment. Right. If I leave there's really no hope for the world. (laughs) So she stayed with that man. Then as soon as he left office, she went her way, he went his way. They're just not divorcing, because I'm sure that it's like some, but when do you see them in the public eye? Yeah, never. When's the last time? Never. They're not doing that because she hates him. But in office, you have to take the picture, you have to walk with him. So that Americans look at that and go, ah, yes, Maybe the president is having sex. I trust him with the missiles.
0: (laughs) Roy, you're going to be uh, performing at 16 theaters across Canada. Can we expect maybe even a little bit of Canadian political content in your Just for Laughs act?
8: Yeah, absolutely. But what I've been doing as of late, like even with the Trudeau stuff, like that came from just me doing a little bit of reading. But what I really want to get into is the more specifics of each individual province and maybe each individual city. And, you know, like, because for now, you know, because we're starting on the eastern side of the country, you know, with Newfoundland and and slowly working our way west, uh, I'm looking at, you know, the forest fire and the response to it and everything that goes into, I think, I think one cool thing we'll be able to do, like if we're talking about, custom making material for a tour. I'm excited about this because it's an opportunity for me to learn. And, you know, I just don't want to be on stage like wacky out of town or just going, well, what is what is this metric system? Huh? <laughs> and, and, you know, the Daily Show comes on there. You had the, the, most Canadians have cable and yep. streaming. So you're aware of a lot of what's going on and yep. a lot of the major debates that are happening, at least in, in North America. So, you know, I don't plan to approach the show, by and large, that differently than I do my traditional stand-up sets.
0: Nice. Comedian Roy Wood Jr. is going to be headlining the Just for Laughs 20th Anniversary Cross Canada Tour. There's a show in Hamilton Saturday, November the 11th. It's at the McIntyre Performing Arts Center at Mohawk College. You can get your tickets online, ha ha h a h a h a dot acom I got to ask you, because I know you're an Emmy nominated comedian, writer, producer, actor, podcaster. I mean, what are you not doing these days?
8: Uh, sleeping. So I'm <laughs> working on that. Give me an Emmy for sleeping. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, after stepping away from the Daily Show after 8 years, I'm trying to take a little bit of time to just figure out what I want to do next. So, you know, it could be I think in the scripted comedy capacity. I do think that there is a world of being able to do um late night in some capacity again, but I think figuring out what that looks like is going to take a minute and I'm not in a rush.
0: Hmm. Well, you were phenomenal with The Daily Show as their long-running correspondent. You've done Yeoman's work with Comedy Central with all your specials and and, uh, you know, your stand-up act is a 10 out of 10. You were amazing at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Can't wait to see you Saturday, November 11th in Hamilton at the McIntyre Performing Arts Center, Mohawk College, as part of the Just for Laughs 20th Anniversary Cross-Canada Tour. Appreciate the time, and uh, we will welcome you to Hamilton with open arms. Thanks for uh, joining us okay. today. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Roy Wood Jr., comedian, writer, actor, podcaster, all-around funny guy. Going to be in Hamilton on November the 11th. Tickets online. Ha, ha, ha